Dave, executive producer of Aiden 5, the web series, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, I'm Victor Miller. I wrote Friday the 13th, and you're listening to Genretainment. Welcome to the second installment of Genretainment. We're your hosts, Mark and Julie, and we're here to give you news about our favorite genre on television, movies, web series, and everything in between. We also have interviews, like today's interview with Ben Bays, the executive producer for the sci-fi noir web series Aiden 5. He'll let us in the behind-the-scenes stories of the creation of this popular web series and gives us a clues about the next season, plus gives us advice on how to write web series. And we don't really have an official theme song yet, so what you just heard in, was a snippet from the theme song used for our web series, Reality on Demand, and it was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. All right. Well, before we do that, let me get this chat room open real quick here. Just realize it's not open. We had some technical problems starting up for some reason. And one of our cats decided she wanted to play in the chat room. <laughs> Thank you, Veronica. That's live radio for you. All right. Um, and her brother. And, yeah. So. Come here, sweetheart. There you go, okay. I know. So before we uh, get started, let's let's get on the news, right? Hot off the virtual presses. Okay. So Darth Maul uh, is that cool Star Wars villain <laughs> that most people feel never really got enough airtime before he was defeated. They do, really? Well, maybe you don't feel that way. I tattoos, cool. I live in a world where episodes one, two, and three never existed. But if you are not like me and you feel that way, then you may want to check out a new trailer that has hit the web showing the return of Darth Maul in the upcoming fifth season of Cartoon Network's Star Wars Clone Wars. How does he return? I'm not really sure, but with a title like that has the word clone in it, I think we can all guess. And I'm guessing I probably have a couple of young nephews who will be the ones in the family excited about this one. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Joss Whedon's Avengers has enjoyed great success at the box office, crossing over that billion-dollar mark with record-breaking speed. But that buzz has kind of started to fade as it keeps dropping in the in the really? ratings. Yeah, you know, it's been weeks now, and uh, it's rumored that Marvel and Disney Disney isn't ready for the Avengers to leave that box office just quite yet, and they're going to make one last push for Avatar's record. Uh-huh. So, according to SuperheroAuthority.com, they say the plan is release The Avengers, the director's cut, in theaters near the end of the summer. Hmm. Now, uh, Joss Whedon had previously mentioned that he'd be uh, including a director's cut for the home video release, complete with, you know, maybe 30 minutes or so uh, more material. They got cut for the for the theaters. Could this be the supersized version of the film that may be released in theaters? And will this help Avengers beat the Avatar record? Now, in case you're not keeping track of the numbers, Avatar has a record of 760 million, excuse me, 760.5 million domestic, while the Avengers is currently at 572.3 million domestic. So, uh, what do you think? You think they'll be able to beat them? And, and if they release the director's cut, would you go back to theaters to see a new cut of the movie? I suspect I would, because I really liked it. I would as well. I'm going to have to say I doubt it's going to beat out Avatar. My math skills aren't great, but just looking at the numbers, I'm guessing it probably won't. But I tell you what, if if you just can't beat Avatar, you're still doing really, really well. Um <laughs> Under other news, Leonard Nimoy has hinted that he could return as William Bell for the fifth and final season of Fox's science fiction series Fringe. He told Sci-Fi Now, quote, it will depend on what they have in mind for the character. There are a lot of issues that have to be dealt with, but we'll be talking about season five. 
Nimoy also suggests that Bell could become more and more unhinged if he indeed returns for the show. He says, uh, William Bell started as a very intelligent and rational character, he said. I think he's still very, very intelligent, but I'm not quite so sure that he's rational anymore. Now, it's no secret that American Horror Story is about to get a little crazier. (laughs) Its second season will bring us to a whole new story at a whole new location. This time, instead of a house, a haunted house, we're going to get a mental hospital. That's always creepy. Um, Many actors will return as new characters like Jessica Lane and Zachary Quinto from... uh, from Heroes and uh, and Star Trek, actually. and yeah. uh, Live many, and prosper. <laughs> and many new faces will join the cast. Now, Entertainment Weekly is reporting that former Flash Forward and Camelot star Joseph... Uh, Fines. Finus, I think. Fines. 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 Is joining, we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Is joining the cast. Uh, they're reporting that he's going to play the head of the institution for the criminally insane where star Jessica Lane works and that he'll also be her love interest. But aside from those pieces of information, there's not really much else known about him, except that he's described as tortured. Hmm. Okay, and I'm excited about this bit of news. This Sunday, June 17th, Falling Skies on TNT will return. Um, it's going to have a two-hour season two premiere with two episodes, Worlds Apart and Shall We Gather at the River. Uh, quote, says here that Tom returns to do the second mass to find that the cost of the war with the aliens has taken its toll. Meanwhile, Pope and his renegade contingent challenge authority, and Ben's hatred of the skitters intensifies. I'm excited about that because I am a huge fan of that show. So I've really been waiting for season two. Yeah, I'm a big fan too. I can't wait to see yeah. what they do. I can't believe there's a show like that on TV that they're allowing to continue. That's so cool. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> this one's interesting. Um, and a long quote, but it's funny. Uh, Game of Thrones has been a big hit for HBO. Uh. One of the constant complaints online, or at least constant uh, jokes about it, has been about all the nudity and sex. Now, is all that nudity and sex really necessary for the story, or does it take away from the quality of the story? Well, we get a little peek behind the curtains, like how it is, anyway. uh-huh. <laughs> as to the thinking behind all of the nudity. Director Neil Marshall, who directed the popular Blackwater episode, said, said this in an interview with Empire. I'm going to quote this here. The weirdest part of directing Game of Thrones was when you have one of the exec producers leaning over his shoulder going, you can go full frontal, you know. This is television. You can do whatever you want and do it. I urge you to do it. So I was like, okay, well, you're the boss. This particular exec took me to one side and said, look, I represent the pervert side of the audience, okay? Everybody else is the serious drama side. But I represent the perv side of the audience, and I'm saying I want full frontal nudity in this scene. So you go ahead and do it. So I just think that's kind of funny. You know, <laughs> it reminds me. I think it was Saturday Night Live. They had a sketch where they were joking around about how there was like George R. R. Martin creating, and then there was some like teenager producer guy who's always like, "I like it, but more nudity." And brought stuff. to you by J. R. R. Martin and yeah. this 13-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> But I just think it's really funny. So there you go. There's some thinking behind the scenes. You know what what's going on with all those uh, sex scenes. And so what do you think? The the nudity, sex, distraction, necessary or you know, guilty pleasure? You know, I'm 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 definitely a fan of guilty pleasures. I don't like the show, and it has nothing to do with the uh, the nudity. Frankly, I mean, it's regardless of who who it is being nude on screen, they either don't have anything I don't have or I haven't seen. So it's not really kind of shock me. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I I totally just am in the – I have no idea because I don't watch the show. So, um, 
moving on to other news. Oh, why did the first two Hulk movies do so poorly? I think pretty much everyone has at least one theory, if not multiple ones, but Stan Lee himself has a theory. He's quoted as saying, generally it's been wonderful. They hadn't quite found the right formula with the Hulk, but he's uh, very good in Avengers Assemble, Lee told uh, Total Film. They made him too big in the first two movies. I don't think he had to be as big as King Kong. I think they're going to be okay with the Hulk from now on, though. Mark Ruffalo nailed it. And I'm actually going to go on here and say, on the line, say, not only does Mark Ruffalo nail it, nail it but I think the problem with the first two films, uh, with the other first films, weren't the actors. I think they had stellar actors, and they did a really good job. Um I, I I think there might have been some writing and directing issues and and my feeling has always been I've always liked Hulk as a ensemble character. I just don't feel that he is uh, a strong enough character, at least in my opinion, to be the standalone figure for a show. So. He's enough control of himself. So it's hard to root for him. I think is is part of it, but he's not really enough tortured enough to be a dark hero either. So I don't know. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, well, uh, the Hobbit movie's coming up soon. Yes, I'm excited because yeah. our favorite vampire from, uh, Being Human, the UK version. Mm-hmm. The British version, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he went on, he left that show, had actually a really, really spectacular, uh, exit. But I was still very upset to see him go. So I'm excited to see him in the Hobbit movie because I loved that book as a kid, I've loved all of the Lord of the Rings movies, so I'm really excited about that. And I think... And his Mark... name's Aiden Turner? <laughs> yes. So Aiden Turner has said... I was trying to segue you into your <laughs> your paragraph here. Aiden Turner uh, spilled the beans about a possible romantic subplot for his uh, his dwarf character, Keely, in Peter Jackson's upcoming Hobbit films. Woo-hoo. There are going to be two, by the way, in case you didn't know. They're splitting them up. Um, Have you read the book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he said this little surprise about this romantic subplot in uh, a recent issue of Total Film Magazine, which actually has um, featured six of the Hobbit actors. So you may want to check that out if you want to find out what's going on. Oh, hey, there's a lot of others in there, too. Yeah. And so what he said is that Healy's part has been expanded from the novel as well as chasing treasure. He's also pursuing female elf uh, Torell. I'm sure there's Lord of the Rings fans in there. Crucify me if I mispronounce that. <laughs> but is he setting his sights too high? I guess he knows nothing can ever happen. He explains she's about 20 feet tall and he's only two. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see Aiden Turner shorter. Aiden Turner actually was agreed to get chopped in half to play the Hobbit. So, you know. <laughs> All right. And um, I think that's about it with the news. I, I think, you know, there was... Really something kind of funny about Battleship. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not yet seen it. Hit, other than We don't know much about it other than it was hit sync. <laughs> it hasn't done that great in the box office, for especially for how much it cost. You know, it's based on a on a board game. It's got aliens. It's well, like, to be fair, Clue is based on a board game, and that rocks. True, true. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a rare exception. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's just going to be the one that stands the test of time. What I thought was kind of funny is uh, film director Peter Berg, he he talked to the Huffington Post recently about the film, and um, and this is his explanation of why he thought it didn't do better. And I, I'd be interested to see what you guys you know think about this. But he said, it was a movie that tried as hard as I could to get inside of, but the concept is so big and powerful, and the movie is so big and so powerful that the movie is going to run away with itself. 
So, you know, is that why it didn't do so well? Is that why it sank? I don't know. Like trying to put a, a collar on a great white? I don't know. Chris- I don't know. I mean, I, I think you do certainly run into issues with the larger-than-life movies. But, again, you know, talking about Avengers chasing Avatar. Avatar was huge. Um, but they managed to find a way to make it, in some ways, intimate, because you really cared about the characters. So, um, I don't know. I haven't well, I haven't seen Battleship. I was actually going to wait for video for that one. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my guess would be it would suffer from uh, from the trailers, which may or may not be a fair thought, would be what suffered with, uh, like, Transformers. They, they spend a little less time with the big booms and bangs and explosions and a little more time writing a good story. <laughs> I've I've often found these are the issues with these types of movies. As you know, we have Ben Bays. Gonna Speaking be of a, good writing. Yes, Ben Bays and the whole writing staff, actually, that do Aiden 5. Aiden 5's web series, it's a sci-fi, what they call a sci-noir series, or sci-fi slash noir type series. It's very different from a lot of shows out it has there. It's a very unique, unique style. It does. It has a unique origin, too, which which is... Ben's going to tell us all about. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get Ben on here. And after the interview's done, we'll take any callers, and uh, we'll talk about True Blood, because we saw the, the premiere. Here we go. So we're going to talk about 8 and 5, and uh, could you mm-hmm. introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Ben Bays. I'm the executive producer of 8 and 5. Uh, I also directed a few episodes. I uh, was obviously the executive producer, showrunner, your... your um, working directly with the writers and wrote a few episodes as well and pretty much uh at this level jack of all trades master of none <laughs> we we feel your pain <laughs> and, yeah and for people that haven't seen your web series uh how would you describe it uh eight and five it's uh we call it a it's a sci-fi film noir we call it a sci noir and it is set in the not too distant future and it's about a detective who is trying to solve the serial killings of his own clones. And uh, the show is done through a really unique style of live-action photography and hand-illustrated sketched art. So all the environments are uh, more of like a living comic book, kind of graphic novel style, and it's all done in the, in the, in the old throwback style of, of film noir, black and white. Now, how did you come up with the idea then to use that combination with the hand-drawn and the live action? Was that something that was immediately from the beginning and the starting point for this, or did that develop later after you started thinking about the story? Yeah, uh, John Jackson and Tim Baldwin, who uh, created 8 and 5, actually um, started out as a 48-hour film project. And for people who aren't familiar with what that is, basically you make a film in 48 hours. You you know, come up with the concept, you write the story, you shoot it, and you post it and deliver it all within that period. And Johnny was originally um, really nervous about finding locations to shoot, and he was worried about being able to do that all within the, the short time frame that they had. So he thought, wouldn't it be great to just shoot everything on green screen? And he had an illustrator friend that he worked with, Ben Brown, who knew that he could he would be able to sketch in all the environments and it was for really it was just it was really just more of a time saving uh solution on his part to kind of you know make it work for the forty eight hour film project and out of that kind of developed the style and then uh Tim Baldwin when they were sitting down on Friday night after they had gotten their genre sci fi 
um, they were trying to come up with a story. Uh, I believe it was Tim who came up with the idea of maybe because we're shooting on green screen and we might be short on actors, uh, we can just use the same actor multiple times, and that kind of uh, instituted the story of cloning. And so really that's how the style and the story all all <laughs> evolved in that one night of them trying to solve logistical problems, really. Um, and it turned out to be something that was pretty cool. So necessity is the mother of all invention sort of scenario. Yeah, right. You never know what you're capable of until, <laughs> you know, until you have those restrictions placed on you and you have no other choice. So yeah. It was uh, serendipitous, to say the least. Now, what was behind the decision-making of, uh, of taking this 48-hour film and making a web series, and deciding to make a web series versus maybe trying to make a feature film out of it. Yeah, well, I I actually um, had heard that uh, they were filming this project. In fact, Johnny had asked some of us to help out, but for whatever reason, um, I wasn't able to to work on the project. But I did go um, that following week to go see the film uh, screened with all the other 48-hour projects, and uh, I went just to enjoy the film. And I'd heard that it looked turned out pretty good. Uh, Brian Michael Block had sent me an email. The the lead actor of Eight and Five had sent me an email saying, hey, "It looks really cool. It looks like a living comic book. You got to come support us. Check it out." And so I I went and, and saw the film streamed that night, and just like everyone else in the audience, I was completely blown away by what they had accomplished in just 48 hours. So, um, you know, not only did it was just a really arresting and unique visual style, but they had created such a rich world with story, uh, the potential for more story that I instantly wanted to see more. And so kind of those two gut reactions, um, right after the screening was over, I went down and pulled Johnny aside. Um, and he and I have been talking about, you know, collaborating on a project for a while. And I said, I think we found our project. I think this is a perfect, um, project to start as a web series. And at the time, we, I really hadn't thought that much about what a web series was or getting it out there. It really was just about we had no resources, we had really no money um, to put into something, and this was just the perfect storm of producing a project, you know, on the cheap. It was all shot on green screen. We didn't have to worry about locations. Yet we could write anything we wanted to. The, the, the scope was really limitless. So... It was incredibly attractive from a story perspective, and the fact that it was such a unique style, that was pretty much the icing on the cake. So we just, you know, started having meetings and just talking about story and spitballing ideas on the story, and, and really it just evolved over a period of time. And it took about a year of talking and writing and, and hashing out this big story arc before we ever uh, sat down to you know, to really shoot an episode or put anything out there. And during that time, the short film actually went on to be very successful. It won the Columbus Film Fest. It went on to compete at the international competition where it won uh, second runner-up. And then it went to screen at the Cannes Film Festival. So while we were writing the web series and kind of thinking, oh, this would be just a great thing to do, you know, for free and put it out there on the web, uh, the, the short was doing pretty well. And so uh, we really tried to piggyback the release of the series on the success of that short. <clears throat> and, and you have like a staff of writers, right? It's not just one person writing the season. 
That's correct. Um, uh, really, uh, myself, uh, John Jackson, Tim Baldwin, uh, the two original uh, 48-hour creators, and then Vitas Barzukas, who's really our main writer, um, is a really talented guy, and, and really how the process works, the four of us just get into a room and a whiteboard and, you know, spitball over donuts and coffee in the morning and, you know, write all our ideas down and try to work them all into this main story arc that we are putting together. Um, Johnny and I spent a lot of time before we ever sat down with the writers just trying to hash out what the story is, you know, what what is the journey that this detective goes on. Um, and then once we kind of had a a structure or a framework for that, that larger story, um, we brought in um, the writing team to really just just sort of, you know, basically come up with everything else, put all the, the meat and the flesh on the bones and come up with complex characters and complex storylines, detailed episodes. Um, and we have a few other writers as well who have come on to handle an episode here, an episode there, and so on and so forth. Okay. And uh, is, was that a new experience for you? Have you had any experience writing as a team, like television writing? Have you ever done that before? Uh, I, I did work in television uh, way back in the day. I was um, I was really uh, working in production at the time, as a post production as an editor. So um, I had worked on uh, a couple of sitcoms and um, had had seen that structure. And I really like that structure. It's it's very collaborative as opposed to you know maybe more of a traditional feature where you go pose yourself in a room and write by yourself. Um, and I really like that element. I think. Um, I think it's just such a refreshing way to work, especially with these, this group of guys. I mean, they're just so, um, they're just so full, so many ideas. And, um, you know, when you're in the middle of that process, it's just, it's so thrilling. It's really like nothing else I've ever been involved in. Now, as far as um, for web series, I know there's, you see all over the web and you talk to people and everyone seems to have a very different opinion about um since web series are still very much under development, about what's the formula for a single episode. Some people say, oh, it has to be very short. You can't have it more than five minutes. And other people say, no, I want it to be more like a television, you know, half-hour show or, or whatever. And so what do you think um, makes for a good length of, for the episodes and for the season? How did you come up with your format and, you know, what do you feel like you need to put in each episode then to sort of keep your audience? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And probably one of the things that we discovered when we were first starting out is there's really no set formula for that. You know, there's a set, there's really a, a standard formula for television, half hour, one hour. Um, there's really a set formula for a three-act structure, for a feature film. Um, all of those, you know, are pretty well set in stone, but for the web series, you know, we were kind of going with our guts and sort of making it up as we went along. The, the things that we followed were really came down to story and character. And if, you know, you, you write the episode, um, you know, if your story essentially dictates that you tell it within a certain period of time, then you tell it within that certain period of time. And you write that story as efficiently as possible. And, um, and and for us, it was, especially in that first episode, it was about establishing the plot, establishing the characters, um, and really getting the audience to come alongside you right out of the gate. I think if you don't have that, then, you know, you're going to lose people 
pretty early on, there there have been a lot of instances where people will start a web series much like a feature film, where it's very slow and drawn out. They'll have really elaborate credit sequences, and we really think that that's that's a uh, you know I personally I think that's kind of a detriment to it. You really can't start off your web series in the same way. The the you know everything that we've discovered is that people just audiences want to get right into your story right out of the gate. And so, um, fortunately with eight five, we had a story that did that. And then it was really about every episode. How do we build character development, still progress the plot along. And at the same time, um, you know, we had, we were really adamant about ending every episode on a cliffhanger. And so we, you know, to do all that anywhere between, you know, six and 10 pages is a really, <laughs> really difficult thing to do. And so we became very efficient writers as we were doing this. There really was no room, uh, you know, for for it to bloat at all. No, it, it, you, you're talking about you definitely have to um, not waste anything while writing, obviously, you know, to, to get right to the meat of it. But do you feel that the fact that um, it's different from television and that there's not really a set format, does it feel like you have a little bit more freedom when telling the story to kind of, allow the story to take you where it needs to go or, or is that not your experience? Well, I mean, in our experience, um, it was, it was really about, um, you know, letting the story develop itself. But, you know, we sort of knew exactly where we were writing the entire time. So, um, you know, one of my biggest frustrations with more episodic television, you know, especially when, um, especially when they're just writing episodes. They're just essentially trying to extend the length of their season. And with 8 and 5, you know, we didn't really want to do that. We didn't want to just keep writing endlessly and hope that the audience catches up with, you know, will just stick with us throughout that time period. We had a, we were really adamant early on that we wanted a definitive end to our series. And so we once we set that within the story, we decided on a three-season story arc and we just started writing towards that. Um, so for our purposes, um, you know, we kind of set the metronome, so to speak, for the for the audience, um, right as we uh, were putting the very get-go. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> now, season one's been wrapped for a few months, I think, and uh, was it 16 episodes? Was that how long season one was? Yeah, the season one is 16 episodes. We originally planned for 15, but uh, we ended up, one of the episodes, we ended up being too long, so we split it into two episodes. <laughs> now, is season two in the works, then? Season two is in the works. Um, right now, they're planned as shorter seasons. They're going to be about 12 episodes. Um, the, the next season will be 12 episodes, and we're also uh, writing season three at the same time. We found it more efficiently to, to roll the productions together. So we're going to do... Um, you know, essentially the seasons two and three and finish up the whole series at once, uh, which which will also help in the shooting of the production really more than anything else. Um, so we're 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 in the middle of writing right now, and we're really pleased with how the scripts are developing, how the story is developing, and uh, we hope to um, be looking at a production at some point uh, later on this year. But uh, time will tell. You know, you, we. Like we like we approached the first season, we were we were really adamant about getting the story right first, and we just want to make sure that that everything you know tied together the way that we you know designed it to from the beginning. So, mm-hmm. 
And how difficult is it work with green screen? I know in some ways it saves some time, but then, of course, there's a lot of post-production work. And I'm curious uh, how, how it is for the actors. Um, was it a difficult adjustment, too? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, from a production standpoint, working in green screen is is it's freeing and it's and it's challenging all at the same time. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about doing company moves or losing the light or you know running out of time or you have to give up the location for the day. It's great. You just shoot in the same area. However, that being said, um, whenever you're on a physical location, you know you set up your your master shot, then you move in for your coverage. Your actors stay rooted in the same place within the room, and you move the cameras around them to match action, you know, the 180-degree line so that everybody's looking the correct way, so on and so forth. But um, in a green screen world, when you only have, you know, one wall of green, you're not moving the actors, or you're not moving the cameras around the room, you're moving the actors in the room around the cameras. And, and it's just a really... Um, you know, it's a really disorienting practice, especially when you can't see the room. <laughs> so you're you're sort of just you get lost every once in a while, and you know, every so often the set would devolve into this 15 minute conversation about you know where everybody thought the 180 degree line should be or where the camera should be. So so uh, we had several of those moments, but overall it was a really rewarding process. Um, and I, I you know we had very few issues or problems on set. Uh, for the actors, um, they both uh, have similar experiences from that perspective of just not having anything to really latch on to. And Brian and Maya talk about that extensively, about how they ended up using each other as the anchor points for a scene. And it really came down to trusting, you know, them, trusting us as filmmakers, but, but ultimately, you know, using each other as the emotional anchor or the kind of the, the, the setting anchor to keep them rooted in that reality. Um, and the, the environment really didn't play such a larger role for them. Sounds a little bit like for the actors, it might be a bit more falling back on theater acting, where you might have a very sparse stage, and yet you know you still right. have to. Right, precisely. I mean, that's that's exactly what Maya had likened it that to that as well, and she uh, just talked about having to you know use her imagination a lot, and so um, she actually wrote a pre. Um, uh, a detailed blog on the subject on our on our website about how you know she'd have to go into a scene you know read the scene heading and then just try to imagine what it looked like and then how surprised she felt when she finally saw the finished product and would be like well that's not what I pictured it like you know as at all it's completely different from what I imagined so uh, I think I think for them it was it was it was fun uh, you know just from a reveal standpoint at the end of it. Sort of like reading of everyone reading the same book, but having a completely different vision of it from the description yeah. on the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> and I enjoyed um, at Gen Con last year when you guys kind of did your demonstration about the green screen, like where you had a guest come up and do a movement, and then you put him like in a scene of the of the episode. That was really uh, really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, are you guys going to be back at Gen Con this year? We are. We are. Uh, eight and five uh, uh, is accepted into the um, film program, so we'll be uh, in the, the film festival there this year. And uh, Gen Con has always been kind of like our home base. Um, that was the very that was the the place where we launched our our series, um, and uh, and we've just you know it's close by. It's just a 
a few hours away from where we live, and uh, we have a lot of friends there. So, um, so yeah, we'll definitely be back this year. And and the IAWTV awards, you know, eight and five was was nominated for quite a few. Um, how did it feel, you know, getting nominated for all those awards? Yeah. Did you did you go to the awards uh, by chance? We did, we did. The whole the whole uh, group of us went out to Vegas and uh, had a really good time, and it just it was amazing. I mean, it just felt really great to be recognized by the community um, for the work that we had done, and you know, everybody who was involved. And there's a lot of people involved. I think um, a lot of people forget that 85 is a completely volunteer uh, volunteer process, and so you know, the, the, it's a no budget production. Everybody who works on it is is uh, volunteering their time, and it's hundreds of man hours, um, thousands of man hours, really. And um, and uh, um, to have it recognized, you know, for nine different awards um, in, in all the major categories was just so thrilling to, to be a part of that and to be a part of that community. Um, we didn't take home any hardware, though. We were all pretty, you know, we were bummed about that. <laughs> but, uh, but all in all, it was such a great experience to go out there. It and, still sound like a great you know, showing. in a theater with... Yeah, it really was. I mean, you know, we're sitting there, uh, you know, going toe to toe with uh, Felicia Day and the Guild, and you know, uh, Mortal Kombat and uh, Dragon Age Redemption, and uh, you know, our good friends uh, over at the Mercury Men. Um, it was just really great company to be in, and um, you know, we just had a really great time out in uh, in Las Vegas. Um, now, as far as you know, with with the uh, internet, the web community, web series being, you know, where you can be located based anywhere. It's not like you have to be in L.A. or New York. Um, did you find that uh, when you went to the awards show, um, I know still a lot of it is, of this is based in, you know, some of the traditional areas, but we're getting more in the Midwest and other areas. Was there a sense of, oh, they do web series, but they're in the Midwest, or was it very much a, it doesn't matter where you are, we're all in the internet community kind of feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like that that's the spirit of it. I mean, certainly there are disadvantages to not being on either the West Coast in Los Angeles or, you know, in New York City, and, and certainly um, I think there's there's more opportunities if that's the case, but but the, I, w- I would say this about um, IAWTV, the spirit is so um, inclusive and, and this idea that, you know, there's some kind of breaking new ground and sort of building this, you know, this network together. And I, I just really, I just really appreciate it about that organization. I'm proud to be a part of it. And um, I just hope nothing but the best for it uh, for the future. Now, if um, we have any filmmakers listening into the radio show and they're interested perhaps in making a web series, you know, what, uh, what things have you learned where you, what would you suggest to them for things to do and not to do? Uh, you mean with just as far as creating their own web series? Yeah, you know, their own web uh, series. Breaking into it, yeah. Breaking into it and, you know, some common mistakes. I'd say, you know, well, I would, I would just say that, you know, probably the most common thing to do in, in not just web series but in any, you know, any, any of the field, television or film, is to see something that was really successful and then try to, you know, follow that, you know, try to, try to do exactly that. Um, you know, there's something to be said for, for being excited about a project and wanting to, to, you know, do something similar. Um, but then there's also, I think, you know, just following suit and especially in the web series world, you know, to, 
you know, to make yet another iteration of a teenage vampire story or something along those lines. Again, nothing against teenage vampires. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that's that's an obvious trend that has been, you know. Um, yeah, it really has. And I would I would say, you know, if you're into that, that's great. I mean, do what you love. But if you're really looking to to kind of make a splash or, you know, make a name for yourself, I, I would really look at doing something that, that's unique or something that, you know, a story or an idea that, um, you know, maybe hasn't, hasn't been done before or something that you find fascinating because if you find it fascinating, chances are somebody else out there does as well. And, um, and I, you know, I would just really stress to people don't, um, you know, don't let trying to follow conventions hinder you because especially in the web series world, unlike any other medium, it's the one place you have the freedom to really do that. Um, you really can't, you know, you, you don't have the freedom anymore in feature films to to take big risks and do and do other, you know, other projects that aren't proven because the budgets are too large and the stakes are too high, and so the you know the studios really can't afford to take large risks. Um, they need proven, well-established franchises to start piggybacking onto in order to justify those those budgets. And um, I think with the web series world, the greatest thing, and this was the thing that really, um, you know, kind of catapulted Able Five was this notion that hey, we we don't have any money, we don't have any, so we really don't have any, any, you know, any as far as like the risk is involved, it's very very low. So let's just make something that we want. Let's just make something that we think is really fun, and we'll have a fun time working on and put it out there. And uh, you know, we think. Other, you know, if we geek out about it as much as you know as we do, we, we think that other people um, might do that as well. So. Okay. Now I know Satan Five is practically everywhere, like um, like Blip. You know, all the different distributors and did a good job uh, going out to all the different distributors. Um, what ones have you liked the most? Like, <clears throat> like which which ones have you had the most luck with with audiences? Do you feel like with Codecast or Blip or, or any of them out there? Well, I would say, I mean, honestly, from a, from a there's so many different factors I guess at play. But, you know, kind of our our the place that we're the most gratified being at is Blip TV. I mean, those guys are just they they. They're in it for the for the content producers. Um, they have they have made such efforts and great strides to accommodate the filmmakers and really make a home um, for web series. And uh, I, I just think they have the model down. They were like one of the first ones that says that said to everybody, you know, here's your own space. You can put up advertising. It's a straight split. They made it very easy. And they're still uh, bending over backwards for content. Um, creators. I just think they're, you know, they're fantastic. Um, YouTube obviously is, you know, um, they the staple, the first of, of, of uh, you know, web video. That's kind of a, that, that, that's pretty much a given um, to have your stuff on that. And, um, you know, as far as the others uh, out there, there, you know, there's just a lot of great portals and a lot of great uh, distribution channels out there um, that we have been privileged uh, to be a part of. And uh, you know we're still out there looking for um, for other ones. Um, I think the the one thing right now that that is obviously um, an issue for content creators and distributors alike is is you know what is the the deal that is entered into. There's a lot of people out there that 
are looking for your content, but then want to, you know, they want to take it and they want to contractually not necessarily own the rights. They're all for non-exclusive um, deals, but there's a lot of things they want, um, you know, and, and aren't, you know, they're not paying for right now. And, you know, from our perspective, it's really, you know, I, I think that the lines are still really blurred out there on, on, you know, that content is worth something. It was created by people. It was, it was created by, you know, people giving up their time or their money or whatever the case may be. And if it's, if it's out there and it's, you know, growing its own audience, that's worth something. And right now we're, you know, we're more than happy to put it up there for people to view for free. But if, if a, you know, if a distributor wants to come in and start, you know, kind of siphoning off areas and planting flags, you know, I mean, of, of kind of drawing borders around that property, then, you know, in our opinion, that, that kind of dilutes the process and it, and it, you know, I'm in the opinion it's either going to be free for everyone to experience, you know, on our terms, or, you know, you follow a traditional broadcast model where you license the project, you, you, you know, pay for that, the, the right to distribute that product, whether it's exclusively or whether it's digitally or, you know, whether it's for a certain period of time. But, um, but I, I think, I think things are still, you know, shaking out in that regard. I think that the distributors have discovered there's a lot of people out there with content that just want to get discovered. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways there's content providers that are, that are being taken advantage of in some cases. I'm not, I'm not saying all cases because there are certainly a lot of great distributors out there and we're, again, privileged to be hooked up with a lot of them. But, you know, I think there are others. Um, uh, I'm probably going on way too long about this, but I think it's something that's still shaking out right now because it is, you know, it's still kind of the wild west. Yeah, it it's really is. It's a new frontier, so. That's actually what we've been calling it. It's the wild west of the entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you have any, uh, any funny stories you'd like to share that from set or from the writing room, perhaps? Or from the award show. Or the award show. Anything, right? No, no, we don't talk about Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's my mistake, sorry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Ah, man, you know, I I really can't, uh, I I really can't think of it. We have a a funny little blooper reel on our DVD, uh, if I can plug my, you know, my DVD right there. But um, but, uh, there's, you know, as far as funny things that happen on set, there is that. Really, other than that, I, I don't know if we have any, like, <laughs> it's been so long now. I'm, honest, I'm honestly having a hard time trying to come up with anything. Um, one of the things that we found that was interesting um, that I, I still find very interesting is that, you know, Brian Michael Block, um, because he uh, plays a clone detective, has many scenes with his clones. And so, um, you know, watching Brian try to um, perform, you know, when there's nobody there and, you know, watching all the actors sort of, you know, walk in and out of, or do stunts or throw themselves downstairs or whatever is, you know, it's it's such a huge effort, especially when the person you're talking to, you won't film for another month, you know, and so these scenes, you know, watching Brian, he just does such an amazing job. Like, he'll, he'll be, and you watch these scenes uh, put together, 
and it looks like he's really talking to himself on on screen. And um, and I, you know, again, my hats off to Brian and Maya for being able to pull that off. But um, you know, kind of as an objective viewer watching it take place on the monitor, it was you know humorous to us as filmmakers watching that happen. Now, is there any uh, now that you guys are working on season two and three? Uh, is there any hints you can give us about it, perhaps, or uh, or perhaps some new characters you want to kind of mention? Time to tease the yeah, audience. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I can't I can't give too much because we're you know cause we're top secret here at Eight Five. <laughs> um, but uh, but I can say that um, uh, you know obviously uh, Aiden you know without trying to give away too many uh, spoilers from the first season, but Aiden is dealing with his you know, newfound situation, um, trying to come to terms with that. And um, uh, we now have uh, Riley and Matthew um, there, you know, that there's a whole dynamic there that's going to be uh, played out. Um, Hughes is going to consolidate his power uh, even more. And um, we still have uh, Senator Kendrick and his whole political situation that's going on as well. So um, all of our characters are still very much in play, and really season two is going to be about um, Aiden discovering um, who and why, uh, the who and the why of that is behind um, his his newfound situation. Hmm. So if I can be if I can be as cryptic, you know as possible in that description, um, let me just say this. Uh, as I mentioned before, when we set out to write this series, we we set out to write all the whole story at once. So there were things that we set up in in season one that don't get um, we really don't get into until seasons two and three. And so when people get into season two, um, there's a few key episodes in the second season that will. Um, uh, I hope I'm not being too presumptuous, but 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 will really uh, kind of spin the whole series on its ear, where you look back at the entire first season in a whole new light, and um, that 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 really has kind of been our excitement in writing this story. Uh, we've been kind of giddy with just wanting to get to the next season so that we can you know do that, and been trying to keep the big secrets uh, under wraps. So basically, fans can look forward to um, some payoffs. From season yeah. one coming yeah. up and and should be uh, on the edge of their seats waiting for some of that, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, where can people find Aiden Five? Uh, you can find it at Aiden Five uh, dot com, oddly enough, and uh, that's A I D A N and the number five dot com. Uh, we're on you know YouTube, Blip TV, and uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter and all the usual suspects. Okay, great. And is there, before we wrap this up, is there any projects besides Aiden 5 that you're working on that you would like to talk about? Uh, I have, I actually have a few uh, projects in the works right now. Uh, I, I personally um, am uh, in the development on a feature film um, that uh, we're hoping I'm going to, uh, you know, we've got some meetings coming up here that will, that will uh, happen as well as, um, I'm uh, I'm I've been in development actually for quite a while on a on a new um project. It's being uh, created as a series, but um I'm not quite ready to talk about that just yet. Just kind of keep your eye on the on us cuz it'll be it'll be coming out here um maybe by the end of this year. Just uh, at least the 
the project announcements will be coming out by the end of this year. So. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you for uh, being on the show, and uh, you have a great uh, rest of your night. Sure. Thank you so much. Sure. No problem. Thank you. Right, bye. Bye. Okay. Well, that was uh, – I mean, thanks to Ben Bays for chatting with us, um, updating us on 8 and 5, and it's one of my favorite web series shows, and I'm looking forward to season season 2 and 3. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners, too. We're going to chat for just a few more minutes before the show ends. So if you have anything you want to share or ask, please feel free to call in now. Our number here is 914-338-0314. And in the meantime, until we get someone calling in... Oh, we have someone someone calling in. in. (laughs) Hello, someone. Uh... Sorry. Hello? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Hi. Yes, hi. Hi, this is Ben. This hey, is Ben, how I'm, are you? I'm calling in to say hello. <laughs> hi, thank hey, you ben. for doing that. <laughs> Good to hear from you. Yeah, I didn't know if uh, uh, you guys wanted me to call in or I was able to break away and Heck yeah. chat with you for a few minutes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah great. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't know if you heard the interview. Oh, we have someone else calling in. Let's get them on here real quick. They might have a question for you, Ben. Oh, and they just get kicked off. Well, no (laughs) callback. Or not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Blog Talk Radio has been acting a little weird today. We had a rough start at first. Let's get in the system. We're just happy we got on. (laughs) Well, would you like to add anything to to the interview? Any other news going on? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. Nothing new. I'm I'm actually right now um I'm uh driving across uh uh Florida right now to uh, Cape Canaveral where I'm producing a documentary on the life of John Glenn. So we're gonna get oh, to wow. go film a bunch of really cool old launch pads and interview some folks down there, which would be kinda of cool. Well, that sounds so. That sounds so fun. Do you yeah. do, you do you do a lot of documentary making? Um uh, yeah. You know, in addition to obviously eighty five. Yeah, I do. Uh, that's my day job. Um, I uh, I produce content for the Big Ten Network. So um, I just recently produced a documentary on Jesse Owens, and now we're moving on to do one uh, John Glenn that should be coming out uh, early this fall. So that'd be exciting. Have to keep us updated. Yeah. Yeah. Check it oh. out. It is exciting. Let's see. I think someone's calling in now. Hold on just a moment. Okay. We're not sure who it is. Might be someone with a question for you. Hello, caller. Hello, I see you. Hey, Ian. How hey, you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I see you got a caller anyway. Yeah. Ian, meet Ben. Ben, Ian, Ian, Ben. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Ben. How you doing? How I'm you good. good. Nice I'm, to meet you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize someone had actually called in as one of me because basically I, I, I have to mute my sound before I call in. Well, it's Ben Bays, the person we've been interviewing. Is this, do you have any questions for Ben, Ian? Well, you know, not really. I need to watch the first season, to be honest. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen it yet, you know. I'm, I've not got around to it yet because there's so much going on TV-wise and, and with sure, the website sure. and... And, and stuff like that. You know, I run Sci-Fi Pulse, by the way, Ben. Well, you should hey. definitely check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of uh, a lot going on TV and everything, Ben, what are your either favorite shows or any guilty pleasures that you have going on right now that you 
have been uh, enjoying seeing if you have any time. Uh, are you asking? I'm sorry, I missed that last part. Are yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I know sorry. you're obviously busy, but if you have any, uh, we were talking about the gearing up for the uh, different movies and the summer movies and the summer TV show. Um, oh, yeah. If there's any, any of your guilty pleasures or any shows that you enjoy watching in your off time that um, have either just finished their seasons or just getting started. Uh, well, my wife and I are both big Mad Men fans, so we just uh, we just uh, wrapped up that this season. Uh, we've been following that pretty closely. Um, we're kind of in a dead zone right now over summer, so we're just slowly going through our Netflix queue, um, <laughs> cleaning up any old movies or old favorites. Uh, but as far as films go this year, um, you know, I, we really haven't been able to see a ton of stuff. You I know, mean, obviously we, we caught Avengers, and I can't wait for Dark Knight Rises. That's probably my that's, that's the one I'm waiting for the most. I can't wait to see that yeah. one. Um, and uh, but you know, I, I want to see a bunch of things uh, this summer. I just haven't. I've, we've just been so busy, and I haven't been able to get to the theater. So I might just end up having to catch them when they come around on on Netflix. Yeah, that's one of those odd things when you tell people that, oh, I'm working on, uh, you know, web series or movies or this and that, and then they start bombarding you with, have you seen this? This I haven't watched anything in two months. They're like, but you, you want to make films? I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. You say, yeah. I, um, I have to catch up later. <laughs> yeah. I I get that, you know, and I just write about TV shows, and I still get that. Have you seen Have you seen such and such a show, sort of thing, and. Um, you know, I have not not a chance. You know, not a chance to sort like, watch uh, some of the web series that I've been wanting to check out. That Matt has been, you know, saying I should check out and and stuff like that. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it it is very difficult to catch everything. There's just so much now, and well, so much of it that's good too, which is yeah, which makes it even harder. The good news is, when hey, you go to the web, it's it's going to be there. You can you, you can go to it. You don't have to wait for a certain day and time to catch eight and five. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the nice guys, thing about web television. It'll be there indefinitely. So. <laughs> be some, something I wanted to like uh, very quickly bring up with you guys. I, I mentioned this to Mark in the chat room. Um, I spoke to Mark Zickry today. Um, he was actually a producer for the fourth season of Sliders. He wrote the uh, DS9 episode, Far Beyond the Stars. He also um, produced and directed, um, you know, um, what the Star Trek Phase Two episode one with Sumu, in, and um, he, he's done a load, load of television work and, and stuff like that. And uh, one of the questions I asked him was whether he felt that web series, you know, I mean, web web productions, web series could be the next best thing to syndicated television, given that there isn't a syndicated television marketplace anymore. Mm-hmm. What do you say? And, well, he said he said that you know it's it's certainly similar, if not you know that you know that they're they're able to take a few more chances and and stuff like that. So, you know, he, he had a lot of um, he had a lot of not not respect and uh, you know I'm not 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 as much for the uh, for the people out there that are actually doing web series. And um, he actually invited uh, Mart and I because I mentioned Reangir on demand. He's actually invited Mark and I to uh, one of his riders meetings if ever we are in NA. So, you know, Mark and Jimmy, you're going to get there before me. You got an open invite. Just let me know, and I was just song a email on the head. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, we only got like a couple more minutes left. I'd extend the show a little bit, but I have to, I have a meeting, a filmmakers meeting thing I have to go to yeah. right after this. I have to dash off. <laughs> it's Indiana Film Network. 
So it's a shameless plug for those of us who are starting the network <laughs> in the heartland for um, for filmmaking. You'd be surprised. <laughs> but I think I think you said you're going to be at Gen Con, right? Correct, Ben? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're going to be at Gen Con. Yep. Oh, okay. great! You're going to be in the wonderful city of Indianapolis. We'll see you there. We're going to be there too. Yes. So. Indianapolis is lovely because you've got you've got it's a big city and all the perks of it, but you don't have a lot of people like you know like urinating on the sidewalks because it's in the Midwest. So it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's big but clean <laughs> and friendly. <laughs> That's how they should sell Indianapolis. Indianapolis, <laughs> you won't see people urinate. <laughs> I, I have to say, I came to just to preface that a little bit late. I came up with that slogan after we had moved from Vancouver back to the Midwest, and then we're visiting and working in Indianapolis. And I was like, "Oh, honey, it's like a big city, only clean." <laughs> <laughs> well, we in, get... Indianapolis, the place where you can hit and run, do some speedway, and. <laughs> Well, we got to get wrap this up. Uh, can you tell them again where they can find 8 and 5? Yep, you can find us on YouTube and Blitz TV, but uh, mostly check us out at 8and5.com. All right, well, thank that's, you for joining us, Ben. That's and great. Thank you, Ben, for calling in and for your interview. We really appreciate it. Sure, no problem. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. You too. Cool. And thanks, yep. Ian. And thank you for calling, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Bye-bye. All right, well, that's our second episode of Genretainment. And before we go, we just want to let you know about our web series, Reality on Demand, which you can find at realityondemandseries.com. And uh, remember, I you also check out web series and Internet news that I do at my column, Internet and Beyond, which Julie kindly edits. You can find it at scifipulse.net. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, i got a special project. And... Um, so we will be special back. top secret project. Top secret project. But we'll and be back in a couple we weeks. will be more than ready to talk about it when we get back in a couple of weeks. And we have a number of guests, including writers of animation, comic books, TV shows, and web series. They're all lined up and ready to go as soon as we get back. So, yeah, so once once we get back in two weeks, we'll hit the ground running, and your heads will be spinning with all the fun interviews and information that we'll have coming your way. So join us back in a few weeks, and then you can find us back here at the same time slot here at Blog Talk Radio at 4 p.m. Pacific and 6 p.m. Central. Thank you. Have a great day. Y'all have a good evening.